Okay, so we want to review here as we get going uh, the difference between uh, what we talked about last week is we talked about um, relational and intrinsic character. Um, we talked about the difference between God's nature and God's character. We're going to further define the two. So God, God's nature is kind of just the, the things about him, just the in general information about who he is. You know, he's eternal, he's, you know, he's three, he's completely unified. These are just, these are things about just a description of God, and those are important. Um, they're connected to his character, obviously. Uh, but his character has more to do with his behavior. In other words, uh, the way God will do things. The things that determine the way God will act in a situation, that has to do with his character. And so last week we talked about his intrinsic character. We talked about things like holiness right, and uh, righteousness. Um, we, and uh, the one we began with kind of is all-encompassing. Uh, and uh, we talked about his immutability, that, that he doesn't change um, that's actually going to cross over into what we talk about today. So, so what is his relational character then? What things? What? What? How would you describe a relational character? What you have with him. Okay. Okay. A relational character is going to be the types of character or or behavior patterns he has that are dependent upon a relationship, right? There are, there are things that you just are, just that's the way I am. Uh, but there are things, and it doesn't make a difference if someone's around me or someone's not around me, those will be behaviors I do. But there will be things that I do because people are around me, and those are my relational character. Now, both... I do want to be clear that both will impact other people, right? God's holiness will impact us. So, so I'm not saying that his, his uh, intrinsic character is completely separate. What, I, what I'm saying is it's not dependent upon the existence of anybody. God was holy before he was ever uh, had created anybody. But in the sense that there was no one to show mercy on. <laughs> no one had sinned. There was no need for God to be merciful. So, so that was not a part of his behavior. Whatever he was or doing or however that existed before then, there was no need for mercy. There was no need for... Now, those things come from those intrinsic characters. But, uh, what would you say... Um, oh, well... Before we get into some of the specific ones, why is it, do you think, or is it, you can disagree with the premise if you wish, important to know the difference between God's intrinsic character and his relational character? Why would that be important? Because perception and reality are different. Okay. Things go on around us is 
usually very different from who God actually is and what his purpose actually is. Okay. Or we, or we don't know what his purpose actually is. All right, yeah, that, that's for sure. We're, we're extremely limited in what we can know about what God is doing. And, and even some of these definitions are a little bit arbitrary. Uh, what we've pointed out is that really there's a lot of crossover between these things. And even, even between nature and character, there's crossover. Uh, so, uh, okay, yeah, I, I, I yes, I, I think clearly your expectations in, in, in one specific area um, that his intrinsic character and his relational character are important to know the difference between them. Have you ever had personally two things? about you that came into conflict? As a parent, you know, your, your mercy and your um, desire to be merciful to your kids and your um, desire to punish a wrong queen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have things about us all, I mean, not even with deep implications. Like, you know... If you really place a high priority on accomplishing a particular task, but you also place a high priority on free time, <laughs> like one of those is going to win, right? There we go. There we go. And one of those is going to win, right? <laughs> the cake is going to win. I, I, I can take a leaf cake unless it's cheesecake, but... Uh, Pie, then now that's a that's a tough order. See, so 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 those kind of things, those kind of things is like I have intrinsic nature, and I have relational nature. There are things that that uh, that about me are going to necessarily find a situation where they come into conflict. Just because God is perfect does not mean that that's not true for Him. It's important for us to know which of these is going to take precedence. What one do you suppose is going to take precedence over the other in a situation? If, if, if it comes to that. Okay, his intrinsic character, what he has been from the beginning of time, is, is who he is most closely. Those are his most core character traits. What he is simply because he relates to us in a certain way. That is not intrinsic to him. It's relational. It exists because we exist, because he made us, and he interacts with us. To me, intrinsic is, it's not going to change. This is who right. I am, and that's right. what it will always be. Whereas with relational, it could depend on the situation. Right. Right. We always talk about everything having no conditions, but that is not true. There are things with God that have conditions. And he states those. He can state that those have conditions because they're not intrinsic. They are relational. So, so what, what you suppose, then, is his greatest relational characteristic? What is the one characteristic that you would say... This defines love. And so, so let's turn to some scriptures here. First John chapter 4. I think 
this would be Someone want to read uh, verse 8 and verse 16. First John 4, 8, and well, not through, but also 16. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Oh, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. All right, so, so God is love. Now, when, when people will define God, they'll say, uh, you know, God is love. This is true. This is, we have two, sta- two verses in a very short period of time. They'll say, see, so God's love trumps everything else because God is love. And as we pointed out, we went through a lot of verses where God is other things also. Right? God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. And th- those are all statements made. And, and um, so, so God is. So, so we have to kind of figure out, you know, how those interact with each other. Um, and staying right in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter uh, 3 now in verse 16. Let's see how he... Uh, it affects his behaviors. First John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Okay, so so it affects him fundamentally. He is the definition of love, and and he personifies it through the greatest way possible to to give up one's life for somebody else. Now, he personified it even greater than we typically would. I mean, there are people that sacrifice their lives. Who do people sacrifice their lives for? People we love. Well, so does God. He takes it further because he defines himself in this extreme love by loving his enemies. We tend not to think of loving our enemies. That's an odd idea. They're my enemies. <laughs> Why would I love them? I don't like them. And God says, no, I love my enemies, and I've given myself up for them as well. And uh, because, quite frankly, it, the, the scripture says that we, we all were at enmity with him at one point in time. So, so the act of giving up one's life means that God gave up his life for his enemies, because everyone fell under that category. So uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, another way that, that it, we, we see the, the, this is maybe a more pleasant sounding one. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself Okay, same thing, giving himself up, but this is the one we like, right? This is the, this is the giving yourself up for someone you like, <laughs> which is at least a little palatable. I mean, maybe in the situation I wouldn't like doing it, but I would, I may, I'd do it. But the enemy part, that's hard. And so God is the definition of love. Uh, I want to look at 
Um, some a, a, another a, a way that this relates to his nature. Uh, to go back to his basic nature before we were even talking about character. Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119. And uh, we're going to read verse 64. Someone have that? Psalms 119.64. Okay. Talks about his loving kindness. Anybody have a different phrase there? Mercy. Mercy, okay. Love. Love. Does is there a description of love? An adjective? No? Decrease. What's that? Decrease. In in verse sixty four it says uh so my version says the earth is filled with your Faithful, I think the older version says steadfast love. No? Yeah? Interesting. Um, maybe that's one of those that's it's a part of the word. I don't know. Sometimes words have a, like a, they're like a compound word. So I, I, I'm not sure of the Hebrew. Uh, Greek, I can kind of <laughs> fake my way through it. Hebrew, I cannot. So, um, but... Uh, it is the the concept of being steadfast relates to what idea then, or faithful? Reliable. What's that? Reliable. Continual. Continual. So we're going back all the way to that eternal nature, and what we talked about last week with his intrinsic character, that immutability, that he cannot change. His love cannot change. And I said, wait a minute. You said that. This is a relational character. Um, this is a part of his. He's always had someone to love. God has always had God to love. And God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a part of his nature. It's a part of his immutable character. If then, however, if God's immutable love which he cannot change and God's immutable holiness come into conflict which one wins that's a toughie isn't it Can you think of a situation where that would occur? Maybe, maybe I'm making up, you know, maybe this is like a can God make a rock that he cannot lift question that it has no answer. Can you think of a situation in which God's holiness and God's love would come into conflict? When it comes to sin. Okay. I think, I think it, we do need to define love so that we can answer the question correctly if we're defining it as the emotion simply the emotion 
then then I don't think they would ever come into conflict. That even in my sin, God loves me, the emotion. If we're talking about the response, now we're purely talking about behavior. And that didn't exist. God did not need to respond to sin. So that element of it is not what we would call immutable. That's not eternal. We actually did see this at the cross. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. For the ultimate love of okay. mankind, that he did let... Okay. So holiness really has to be the one that wins. God, that, that has existed from eternity. And this is where our mind goes, oh, I can't handle this thought. I'm just going <laughs> to think about something else because my brain is going to explode if I try to think about how long God existed. But since eternity, God has been holy. And so that cannot be denied. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Uh, can you, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, can you read also verse 6? But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of, the Son of Man that you care for me? Okay, so, uh, so we see in this an element of his love, which is his care, his compassion. Um, <clears throat> and that emotion is not undone. Even in sin, that emotional side of, of love is not undone. Uh, so his holiness and his love will never come into conflict in that, uh, in that sense. He still loves, but the action he takes is not immutable. Those are actions. And as we've, as we've shown, God can, God can, conf- he can fulfill those natures and characters in different ways he can fulfill promises in different ways just because he made a promise doesn't mean he's going to fulfill it you know we talk about our preconceived ideas and our expectations and our assumptions and god does not fit into those nice neat little boxes he says i can do this a number of ways you know i knew the different ways that those are when i made the promise you know he, he wasn't like oh i didn't even think of that yeah God's not tricked into things. He, he has the ability to, to see every avenue and says, okay, this is the direction we're going to take. If they do this, then it's going to be fulfilled this way. So uh, there, was a, there was a possibility that, that, uh, that the cross would have never been necessary. It was a very slim possibility, but God knew what it was going, you know, what was going to happen. So he was prepared for that eventuality. Uh, we're going to look at another of his characters and, 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 and his natures. And this might even be thought of as a contradictory one in uh, the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2. Nahum 1, 2. God is jealous. When the Lord avenges, the Lord avenges the mysterious. The Lord will take 
Okay, so we're just going to focus here on uh, the one that seems to be emphasized the most, which is his wrath. Um, does that sound loving to you? <laughs> uh, you? You see someone who's very angry, they don't seem very loving. Loving seems like a very nice, pleasant emotion. Wrath. Wrath is, it's not just I got mad. It is, it's a burning. It, 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 and and to, to have a burning, to have a character where, where you have a nature like that is more than just like something popped up and I got really mad to say, I have this nature. My version says vengeance. And yeah. He's taking, he's not just mad. Okay. He's getting mad. Yeah. Mm, it's it is, and that is the word. It's revenge. Yeah. Um, well, we were studying on Wednesday night in Isaiah what he did to the Syrians. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the things that he did were extremely not pleasant. Not what you think of a, a guy who is immutably, you know, or loving. It's a part of my nature, and then he so turns around and says. I am a vengeful God. Those things don't seem... Again, God has some things that almost seem contradictory that are a part of his nature. I think God is infinite. You know, it's hard for us to comprehend, you know, where one emotion starts and another ends for us because we're kind of... We kind of put things in a box. But yes. God is infinite. So yep. It's hard for us to comprehend that. Yeah, I, I agree. Yes. You know, so we all deserve justice, but he chooses to give us mercy. I don't necessarily feel like if I use the word justice that it's vengeful. Yeah. You know, like you did something that now I have to avenge myself on you. Yeah, it it, it, it feels wrong. And and God's God God is he just says, I'm just going to have to exceed your capability to understand me. We are doing our best. We're hanging on by a thread trying to trying to somehow keep a connection between what he is and what our mind can comprehend. Yeah. It's just hard to understand the concept of loving God sending people to hell. But it doesn't mean yes. he doesn't love them. It's just that people think just because he loves them that he's not going to send them to hell. Yes. Yeah, and that's one of those expectations. That's one of those expectations we have. And and it all comes from this the way we project what we would do. We make God act in in our mind the way we would do something. Because we see the father-child comparison and we go, I would never do that to my child. Right? And, and, and so we put God in the box of a very finite, limited person. Who, and I contradict myself daily. And, and, and so we put God into that mold and that's where the error is. God can't contradict himself. And he's told us that, and he can't change, and he's not—he's not subject to these these human limitations. Uh, but God does have uh, a immutably vengeful nature. That doesn't mean he's doing it all the time. 
it means that, that the, when the application is necessary, that is a part of his character. He's not going to come to a situation where that is necessary and say, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Actions of people are, are affecting other people because of their sin. Um, it, go, it gets too far, and that's probably yeah. That, that's an interesting point because because this does connect to his love. We we think about love completely in an individual between us and God on a, on a completely individual thing. Well, God that. I didn't feel that was very loving. Well, maybe he did that because he loves 10 other people around you. <laughs> right? Maybe I was influencing, you know, a bunch of people that he also loves and says, you know, we had a fish that was killing all the fish in the tank. So, well, it went down the toilet because I'm sorry, you can't keep killing the fish that we're putting in here. Right? You're the bad egg. <laughs> Come on. I didn't want to waste the money. It was expensive fish. But you're eating all the eyeballs out. So no, you've you got to go. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was a bizarre fish. And it was, you know, it would have been nice if, if someone would have told us that it wasn't compatible with the other fish. But, but the point is that, that I took an action based on how I looked at an overall situation. And, and, and this is God. God is seeing and understanding how I relate to a, a much greater situation that he's, I have to step in here. Uh, so so it, it's not disconnected from his love. It's just, I'm not benefiting from it in that moment. Now, other people may be. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Hebrews chapter 12 that relate to his wrath. Hebrews 12, 29. If someone wants to read that. And then we're going to turn over to chapter 10, verse 31. Mm. He is. See, it's not that he has consuming fire. He is consuming fire. It's a part of his nature, part of his character. Uh, Hebrews 10.31 Okay, and, and so I think this modifies the first one that we just read here in Hebrews. He's always that in terms of his character, but that character is not always coming out. There are, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands. It's like, okay, it's a fearful thing to be in a situation where that character is going to be applied to you. And that's what he's defining. If, if we're in a certain thing, then that character doesn't come out, right? So, um, I, I want to, Katie said, it, these are all connected. God's love and his wrath are connected, but I want to look 
we looked at a verse, and I, I want to come back to something that was mentioned, and look where his wrath comes from. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. That's harsh. There's going to be consequences, far-reaching consequences for, for rejection of God. And it comes from his jealousy. That, I think, probably, even more than anger, is hard for us to, to consider. We know, be angry and sin not. Okay, so the angry is, we can kind of understand, but jealous. We, we've never taught our kids once, ever, that it's okay to be jealous. You've never taught them that it's an okay application in any circumstance to be jealous. And maybe we're wrong. Because God says it is an intrinsic, immutable character trait. I am a jealous God. It, it, it's, it's a character trait of a perfect being. Maybe we need to rethink jealousy. In uh, James chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Yeah. And yeah, I can see jealousy for the correct thing. But I also look at it as I am not the creator yeah. of everything. Right. I am not <laughs> all knowing and omniscient. Sure. And I don't have that kind of power. I am a very flawed being. And my ability to use any of these things in the proper way, I may not even have the ability to <laughs> right. Yes, I agree with that. The, the applic- specific applications, I can't just say, well, God did it, I can do it. God wiped out a bunch of people, I can. Yeah, I, I, I don't have that, I'd like to. Uh, but uh, uh, James 4, 4 and 5. Uh, and I think this illustrates jealousy and what is meant by it. Someone want to read that? And it, this will depend on your translation. It has two completely different translations, and one of them is very, very bad. So we'll hope we get the right one. Verse 5. 
Yeah, that's the bad one. <laughs> it, it actually reads that he jealously desires the spirit that he's made to live in us, I believe. And I, I think that's the correct one. Um, and it's not necessarily talking about jealously de- de- desiring the Holy Spirit, but that God jealously desires my spirit. And what is the comparison? What, what's the nature of the comparison to jealousy? How does he, how does he frame the metaphor? Adultery. Is that an acceptable? Is that an acceptable application for jealousy? Yeah. Yeah. If you are married, and go back, we, we talked. All these connect. They all start connecting now. Where God loves us, and how, what's the comparison? The comparison, like a husband loves his wife. Jesus is the husband. The groom. The, yeah. The See, all church, of these, all of these, all of these, all of, all comes together. Why is jealousy okay? Because it comes from love. Jealousy does not come from a position of, I. this is not the I want your stuff jealousy. This is I desire you. Oh. For you. Yeah, I, I have desired you individually, and I'm jealous of a situation in which is pulling you away from me. That's the jealousy. The jealousy over somebody else's object. See, I, I'm separating. I'm, I, I'm, I'm driving a wedge between me and that person. But in this jealousy, I'm trying to drive a wedge between them and the thing that keeps them from me. It it, it comes from God's love. And so it is acceptable. And so it's also acceptable for me. It's acceptable in my relationship. If I saw someone like trying to edge in, like, uh, what's going on here? Jealousy. We we can't control it. It's there. Right? And um, so... Uh, it's a part of our immutable character. Uh, we have that. We, you should have that. If you thought something, it, it's like a, a warning bell that goes off and says something's not right in this situation. Right? So I want to kind of uh, conclude here a little bit, wrap this, this up. And I want to point out the way I structured the way I've been structuring these as we've talked about God up to this point I've done the same thing kind of throughout is I've tried to Old Testament New Testament Old Testament New Testament because something often gets said and we you know we've, we've addressed it anything unpleasant about God People have a tendency to go, well, that was Old Testament. I can shelve that neatly in a box anytime a critic of Christianity or something says something to me. Or anytime God might ask me to do something I don't want to do. That was the Old Testament. And I can, I can, I can just get rid of it neatly and 
God isn't neat in boxes. God is that in the Old Testament, and he's that in... Listen, God was not a hateful God in the Old Testament because he's not a hateful God in the New Testament. That's not a part of his intrinsic character. He was vengeful, and he still is. Hell is still an existing thing. Hell didn't go out of existence when Jesus died. It's still a vengeful thing. It's still a vengeful place, and God is still going to send people there because of his holiness. So with that, we get to this point where, where we address these still apparent conflicting things. I still want to kind of bring this into one thing where God is not a contradictory God. God is not a contradictory God to himself. He has natures that to us don't seem to fit together nicely because they don't fit together nicely in us because we don't know how to make them fit nicely. And we're contradictory all the time. Go back to what we said. Immutability means that God cannot deny himself. So what happens when two seemingly opposite characters conflict? Well, one either has to go completely away, which it's an immutable character. So it can't just disappear. Like you take a vacation for 10 minutes and then come back. You know, it's like God can't do that. So he has to come up with a way to mitigate that conflict, to, to eliminate that conflict. And he does that. Why? Because he can. Psalms 103, verse 8 through 12. And he does it through this character. This character trait is how he does both. Psalms 103, verse 8 through 12. Old Testament, right? Does God say, I stop being angry? I stop being punishing? But he is what to anger? Slow. He modifies it. What character trait modifies it? Grace, mercy, right? That mercy, which comes from his love. But, but mercy isn't just love. Mercy kind of stands between the two. Mercy connects his holiness and his love. And, and, and mercy is going to be the thing that kind of is the glue between these two to, to, to put them. It's like, okay, you can be angry. Just burn a slow wick. That, that's his, that's this, this character trait that he has. Another one, Psalms 136. We're not going to read the whole thing. I just want to see if you get a, a, a feel for this. Get a feel for what this chapter wants us to learn about God. I think that's the idea. I think that's the idea. Mine says his mercy endures forever. Some say steadfast love. All right. 
It endures forever. It is an immutable part of his relational character. He can't deny it. So many times people who say God is vengeful haven't read the entire Bible or read it in order so that they see it took him 450 years after sending umpteen different prophets to them before he acted, yeah. trying to get them to change yeah. and to do different things. And even before you can go, you go back to any any point. You go back to they they started they they got off of the wrong foot pretty quick. You look at Noah. It took him 150 yeah. years to build the ark. It didn't just and he'll, take him a month. Yeah. Right. So Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to see how in the New Testament he accomplishes this with his mercy, combining and, and really mitigating this, this conflict between wrath and love. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. So, God needed to be righteous. He needed to punish sin. And so, he manipulates the whole situation and sends Christ to be the propitiation for sin. God's wrath has to be on sin. And so, he punishes it. And preserves his love and mercy towards us at the same time. I should have borne the brunt of that. But he's like, I I can't help loving you. I can't help being merciful towards you. So I'm going to satisfy the justice without burning you up. And and so it's mercy that really combines these. He doesn't deny either one. They both come together in mercy. Yeah. Well, otherwise it would mean the destruction of his entire creation. Right. Yeah. Because either destroy everything once and for all or do some other and this is why it's immutable, right? And we read that statement, and we'll close with this, that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. It's immutable. Jesus, Jesus was already the propitiation for sin because God knew, and God was like, this has to be the way this goes. This is the plan to preserve, A, myself, and yet the people I love at the same time. So we're going <coughs> to dismiss with that.